It's time for the Tom Sumner Program. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show with music, comedy and special guest interviews every Monday through Friday. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our theme music is Fruit of the Louvre, provided by flick composer-producer Howard Eddy. Stay tuned, because it's on now. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. The Tom Sumner Program. Have you lost your job and your health care coverage due to COVID-19? You're not alone, and Genesee Health Plan can help. I called, and they provided health care enrollment over the phone with Medicaid, HealthCare.gov, and Genesee Health Plan. They made sure I had access to doctor visits, my prescriptions, and more. Getting health care coverage can be confusing. You don't have to do it alone. Get help with GHP. Call 844-232-7740 or go to GeneseeHealthPlan.org. We're in this together, and together we'll get right through now, it. Right the COVID-19 vaccine are available to millions of Americans and soon they will be available to everyone. This vaccine means hope. It will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. I want to go back to work and I want to be able to move around. To visit with Michelle's mom, the hugger her and see her on her birthday. You know what I'm really looking forward to is going to opening day in Texas Ranger Stadium with a full stadium. We've lost enough people, and we've suffered enough damage. In order to get rid of this pandemic, it's important for our fellow citizens to get vaccinated. I'm getting vaccinated because we want this pandemic to end as soon as possible. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. So roll up your sleeve and do your part. This is our shot. Now it's up to you. Hi, I'm U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow, and I'm listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. I'm Tom Sumner. we got a good one in store today. Coming up in the third half of our three-hour tour, the author of a new book about uh, the September 11th uh, attacks on the, the World Trade Center, or the Pentagon, and the train, uh, plane that crashed in uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, The book is called Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Ignored. It's by Ray McGinnis, and he'll join me uh, coming up in a little while. In the middle, in the second hour, we're going to talk with the author of a uh, children's uh, book series, Drop the Puck, Jane J. Jones Beeler, will be joining me. But first, we're going to talk with um, my, my first guest, Joining me by phone from France is uh, a tenured professor at the University of Paris who talks about his uh, uh, experiences in the Middle East, uh, being jailed in Jerusalem and subsequently released and forced to go underground in Palestine. The book is, uh, I believe, in its fourth or fifth edition. It's called uh, Love and Terror in the Middle East by Dr. Frank Romano, who joins me by phone. Frank, welcome to the show. Frank, are you with me? 
Well, I'm not hearing Frank. Maybe he'll disconnect and call me back. So I'm not getting any audio. Yeah, there we go. That means uh, Frank's about to call me back. Anyway, he uh, has a Ph.D. from the Sorbonne in uh, in France, and as I mentioned, a tenured professor at the University of Paris, and uh, he's going to join me by phone from France uh, as soon as he calls back, and there he is right now. Let's get him right over, get him right over to the board. Hi, Frank. Welcome to the show. Hi, Hi Tom. Thanks for having me on your show today. Appreciate it. I don't know what happened there, uh, and it happens once in a while. We were connected, but I just couldn't hear you uh, from your end. But it, did I get it right? Is it the, the fourth edition or the fifth edition of Love and Terror in the Middle East? Well, you got most of it right. The fifth edition is actually about my last um, my attempt to, um, to work with the Bedouins um, in in um, the West Bank, and that's when I got um, arrested and I was jailed when underground in Palestine. So that that's the fifth edition. Oh, okay. So this isn't a uh, a, a fifth printing of the same book. And I'm glad you bring it up. It's not. It's uh, it's the fifth edition with um, the, the 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 latest experience I had. Uh, when I um, was was jailed and was in prison in Jerusalem, and I uh, my I wanted to write a whole book on it, my publisher said just add a chapter uh, to um, Love and Terror in the Middle East, and we we'll call it the fifth edition. Then his new cover, so the focus on what happened latest in 2018. How did you end up in the region to begin with? Yeah, this is, um, um, I actually, many years ago, I had a dream. I was studying in Paris. Um, I was a disillusion. You know, I'm a, originally pretty much of a country boy, Northern California, raised on farms and stuff, and I thought I'd go to Paris, learn French. I wanted to become a diplomat, but I got disillusioned with city life, and so I had this dream that I should get out of Paris and go uh, somehow get to the Middle East and do something. Uh, there, that was way back in 1978 when the conflict was still burning, let's say. And so I just literally took off and headed uh, south um, on a train. I didn't have the, the money for a plane directly from Paris to Israel. That would have been much easier, a three-hour flight. But I, I went down through, I was going to go through Morocco, northern Africa, from, from France, all the way across uh, northern Africa, across the Sinai, into the uh, Holy Land, and I ended up walking into a mosque in Casablanca. I said, well, I thought I might learn about Islam, because I don't know anything about it, and it turned out to be a fanatic group, uh, a, a kind of a Wahhabi-type group, and they kind of I walked into a hornet's nest. Uh, they wouldn't let me go. They wanted to convert me. And it was a really uh, a saga of, um, am I going to become one of them? Because it, it got really blurred, and then I figured out how to escape and return to Paris. That was the initial, Tom, that was the initial moment that motivated me to go to the Holy Land and do what I do, the activist work, but I never got there. I, the best I could do is to get out of Dodge, get out of Casablanca, and get back to Paris alive. Well, uh, you know, it's, uh, I... I... 
had to snicker a little bit, Frank, when you mentioned uh, <laughs> walking into a mosque in uh, Casablanca. Could be because I, if if I got off a plane or a train in Casablanca, I, I would be I would immediately start looking for Rick's American Cafe. Yeah, exactly. What what would I be looking for in a mosque? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Romano's yeah. next next book: A guy walks into a mosque. Um, but but in all seriousness, how many times have you been to back and forth to the region? Well, actually, this was this happened in '78, and since I didn't get there, I returned to Paris. And then finally got back to the States and became a lawyer, started practicing in California, returned to Paris uh, to do some graduate work, to do international law, and that's when I thought I'd better go now to Israel, conforming to that you know original dream I had, to see if it was just another fantasy or something true about it. And that was in 2005, so we're, um, we're moving forward to 2005, and from 2005 to 2018... Um, I started going back and forth four or five times a year because I realized when I got there in 2005, I'd been start, I started practicing law actually in France, international and local law, I became a litigator, and I, I stopped my practice and, and, and went, finally decided I'm going to have to bite the bullet here to, to, to test whether this dream was a fantasy, and I got finally to Israel after all these years into Palestine and realized there's a lot of work to be done with bringing the Israelis and the Palestinians together in a, in, a, in a peaceful way, and so I've been doing that uh, since 2005, Tom. How did you, how did you end up standing in front of an Israeli bulldozer in an attempt to protect protect a Bedouin village? Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I um, uh, every, those four visits per year since 2005. Usually, I had to Jerusalem, I work on both sides. I, I don't privilege neither the Israelis or the Palestinians. I work on both sides, organizing conferences and meetings with them. This time, I, I, I started spending a lot of time in the West Bank, finding that there's, there's a distorted relationship between Israel and Palestine, and Palestinians are kind of getting the short end of the stick here. So I'm going to have to work more, I think, with the Palestinians, because, um, you know, a lot of the violence coming from there sometimes is into reaction to the Israeli occupation maybe could be tempered with more uh, meetings and, and hopefully pressuring the Israeli government to work with the Palestinians and vice versa. And so um, uh, I, I ended up going to Ramallah, which is the administrative um, government center of the West Bank, and uh, one of my um, journalist friends called me up and said, you better get to this village called Kano Akmar. I went, I've never heard of it. He said, you better just go there, because normally I ask him where I should go, where, I'd, where I'm most needed. And then he hung up. <laughs> so I, I found out how to get to this place. It was about maybe 30 minutes away. And I, I'm, it's a Bedouin village, and it's, it's meshed in between two big Israeli settlements that are closing in on it, basically, and want the Bedouins out. They want to join up and kick out the Bedouins, who are Palestinians, who are not nomadic. They've been there for 50, 60 years as a permanent school there. And I said, wow, we, we, we have to work together. We, can't, we cannot allow the Israeli government to kick them out because they've been here a long time. They've got a permanent school there. They're, they're, they're educated people. They're not just nomads. And then we, one morning when I woke up, 
So, you know, I'm learning Arabic more, and uh, I heard this rumbling sound, and I, I followed the people out, and there's this huge bulldozer getting ready to bulldoze the town. And uh, they, the Israeli government has decided it's going to do it because the Israeli Supreme Court said they could. And so we have no guns. We don't believe in violent uh, resistance. So we just said, well, what can we do? Well, well, let's go and stand in front of the bulldozer, and hopefully it won't roll over us. Because it's done that before. There's an uh, American called Rachel Corey in Gaza who was doing sort of the same thing a few years earlier, and the bulldozer did roll over her, uh, and uh, saying that they didn't see and all that stuff. And we were afraid, but we said, well, we got to do something. And gosh, you know, fortunately, um, obviously it didn't roll over me. I wouldn't be here. And it left, but we were all herded in to the police car, arrested, and taken to prison in Jerusalem. How many? That was in 2018. How many of there were you? There were the people that were, uh, well, I was the only one who started in front of the bulldozer because there was a huge group of people that had been wafted away from the front of the bulldozer, and somehow I got through, and, and I started that, and then there was another person who joined me, and then another, so we were three. Uh, the rest of the crowd, I think there were about 30 or 40 protesters that were, uh, re they, they, the, the police had a police line that they couldn't get through, stayed, so they had arrested three of us into the, into the prison, and, and it's called Moscovia Prison in Jerusalem. And, and then you stood trial? Yeah, yeah, this is the crazy thing, Tom. I'm supposed to, exactly, um, the next day, I'm supposed to be in trial. Um, the activist got me a lawyer, one of the best lawyers. Her name is Lasky. Her last name is Lasky, Gabby Lasky, uh, to defend me because I had committed, according to the Israeli government, two felonies. I had uh, stopped an Israeli government program, that is to say the bulldozer, and I didn't. I hate being pushed around, and I, <laughs> I was not resisting, and so the police started pushing me around, and I simply pushed back. Well, you don't do that. And that's a, another felony. So they've got these two charges, but instead of walking me, the police, I'm in prison, five minutes away from the courthouse, in downtown Jerusalem, instead of walking me to court through the corridor, the typical corridor, almost like the, the green line in you know, um, the corridor, uh, the police took me uh, into an unmarked car and drove me to Tel Aviv, which is an hour away where the airport is. And they, they made it clear to me that they wanted me to leave. And they didn't want, there was a lot of press on this, and there was going to be press at the courtroom, and, and they just wanted me out of the country. So I'm in immigration prison near the airport in Tel Aviv, and they wanted me to sign papers in Hebrew, which I don't read too well. I mean, I read a little bit. And um, it says, uh, I agree to be deported. I did not sign. You know, as a lawyer, you don't sign things you can't read. I mean, you ask your <laughs> clients not to do that. That would be really a stupid thing. But, but they didn't know what to do with me because I was supposed to be out of there. So they threw me in a cell and, you know, pretty well threw the key away. And here I'm rotting. And at the same time, hey, Frank, in I Jerusalem... Hate, I, I hate to interrupt yeah. you, Frank, but I have to go to break yeah, no here. No problem, please. Can you stick around yeah, for no a few problem. minutes? All right. My guest is Dr. Absolutely. I'm here. My guest okay. is Dr. Frank Romano, and uh, we're going to pick up this fascinating story after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. 
if you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. So don't touch that dial. Don't click that mouse. Hello out there, everybody. It's me, Tigger. T-I-double-G-R. That spells Tigger. And don't forget to remember to listen to Tom Sumner Program on account of because he's so bouncy. <laughs> I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Hawaiian. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Dr. Comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Annan. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond. Where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air. Where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums. 
where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. This is Congressman Dan Kildee, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back, everybody. We're going to continue now with uh, my conversation with Dr. Frank Romano, who is the author of a uh, a book um, called Love and Terror in the Middle East, now in its fifth edition to include a chapter about his most recent voyage to the troubled Holy Land, and we're going we're gonna to pick it up where we left off. Frank, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. It's okay. It's part of radio. I know that. Um, <laughs> we left off. I'm I'm in the immigration prison, and I'm stuck there. Um, and it seemed like the Israeli uh, police, had, uh, the uh, the guards, had thrown away the key. And and and, come, and coming into my cell, they put me way in the corner to kind of get rid of me because I wouldn't sign papers to be deported. And uh, so into my cell came someone from I think Georgia. Not Georgia, the U.S. Georgia used to be part of um, Russia, and he. I told him my story because you know prisoners are constantly, um, you know, telling stories about what, why they're there and stuff. Now, what are you in and, for? Uh, he said, I, I, "I, he was in there actually for. He didn't. Um, apparently, he was in France. Uh, well, in the, I'm sorry, in the Holy Land. I'm <laughs> mixing things up. He, he was. Um, he didn't have the right papers. He got into the Holy Land somehow. I think." And he stayed past his visa, and they're going to deport him. Uh, and but he he said, look, um, uh, after hearing my story about being in jail and stuff, uh, and uh, and and my story that I should be in Jerusalem on trial, not in, in an immigration jail, ready to be deported, he said, well, I've I've snuck in a phone, so he let me use his phone, called my lawyer. My lawyer happened to be in, standing in front of the judge. A whole hour into my trial without me being there, so they're waiting for my presence, and showed the judge. I actually wrote a text. I couldn't get in touch with my lawyer otherwise, and the text message said, I am in immigration jail, and they're not letting me go. They're not letting me go to, to Jerusalem to stand trial. They want to deport me. And, and the judge was livid. The judge was upset in Jerusalem because the police had told the judge that they had released me and to hang on, I'll be joining them soon, which was a lie. So the judge ordered and contacted the police in Tel Aviv, ordered them to take me to Jerusalem for trial. I got there within an hour or two, and I was greeted by a lot of press, my attorney and stuff. But the lawyer, but the, the judge said during the, during the uh, fi- final sentencing and so forth that it was clear there was evidence that I had obstructed government operation, and I had... Uh, uh, pushed uh, an Israeli policeman, but she was so livid the way they treated me. And something else I hadn't said, Tom, was they beat me up in the prison before I went. Before the the police took me, the the Israeli police took me to the Israeli to the Tel Aviv prison. I had been beaten up. This Moscovia prison in Jerusalem is very noted to be very violent and so forth. And so the 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 judge found out about how I was treated there. And the fact that the police had taken me to Tel Aviv instead of taking me to trial and made the judge wait. At the end of the day, the judge had waited almost four hours with my lawyer and the press and stuff, that she released me without condemning me for these felonies on my own recognizance, 
with a court order, with a court order, Tom, that I am to leave Israel within 10 days. Instead of doing that, I went underground, as you mentioned before, I went underground in Palestine, because I knew that once I leave, I, I'll never be able to come back. So I went into Palestine to continue working underground, trying to hide from the Israeli police, and I succeeded for five months until I was discovered, my hiding place in Ramallah, and I was taken back to prison and this time deported. Now, having been deported, does that mean you can no longer go back to do whatever work you were doing? Yeah, the activist work I was doing in, in Israel and Palestine, impossible for me to get into the country now. Since I'm deported, I've been banned for 10 years. I, uh, if I return, they'll just uh, you know funnel me back to a plane and get me back to where I came from. I cannot enter the country for 10 years. I can only apply after 10 years for a visa, and uh, they, can, they, can, uh, um, uh, they can grant it or deny it. Uh, most likely they'll deny it because they pictured me as an obstructor when actually I'm a nonviolent activist is what I am. <laughs> well, are you able to continue to work or advise in any way with contacts that you've made in the re region? Good question. You know, Tom, I'm uh, because I can't get back into Holy Land and work with the Israelis and the Palestinians, I go to Beirut. And I work with a lot of the refugees, many Palestinian refugees in Beirut, uh, in different refugee camps, were there since what they call the Nakba, which is in 1948 when the state of Israel was formed. A lot of Palestinians were uh, literally kicked out of the country or had to leave. They lost their homes uh, to the Israeli soldiers or settlers and went to these refugee camps. There's over a million refugees in, in Beirut, uh, in, in all of Lebanon, in Jordan, in Syria, and of course Gaza, There's most of those people are refugees. And so I work with refugees, it, 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 mainly Palestinian refugees, in the refugee camps in Beirut, Lebanon, because it's sort of the consequences of, what, of the, occup the Israeli occupation, to, and they're in a desperate situation in Lebanon. Lebanon already is an unstable country. You probably heard of all the issues there, and having a, a government that was just, they hadn't had a government in a long time and finally had a government. The, the, uh, the pound, the uh, Lebanese pound is very weak. There's very little work. They're just struggling in these refugee camps with no work, ha hardly any food, and very little electricity. And I stay there because it helps me have empathy for what they're going through. And I work with them. I bring them food. I try to make contacts for them, and some of them are interested in learning French, because, you know, I'm also a French citizen, and I, I teach French, uh, so someday that they could leave and come to France, maybe. Uh, so that's what I'm doing to stay close to the Holy Land and continue working with the Palestinians. What, you know, for as long as I can remember, leaders in the U.S. have continued to defend an American presence in the Middle East as a peacekeeping mission. How are we doing? Well, I, 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 <laughs> I don't kind think of we're well. That's not, kind of a loaded question, be, Frank. Yeah, it's kind of a rhetorical question because you kind of know the answer. It's, um, 
starting with Obama and even before, it, it, our, our Middle East policies have been pretty disastrous, Tom. Um, you know, you know, um, promising first to get our troops out of these quagmires like in Afghanistan and Iraq, ending up uh, putting you know feet on the ground with Obama and returning, and then finally uh, President Biden getting our troops out of Afghanistan. Uh, but for the Holy Land, um, what we do is we 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 have a, a very strong military relationship with Israel, and we give Israel they they, they benefit from about a million dollars a day from our assistance military assistance and otherwise, and the, the problem is this. For instance, Obama in 2014, uh, there was this war between Israel and Gaza. He, he went over the television and said, I'm really sorry that so many women and children have been killed. But three days later, he sent more arms, millions of dollars worth of arms, sold them, and then, you know, with the reductions and money to Israel. Uh, and Israel is already before the International Criminal Court accused of war crimes, and uh, the United States, Obama in particular, um, is subject to be hauled into court as uh, aiding and abetting Israel, especially during a time like that. So, our and that's just a precise example, Tom, of our policies being absolutely disastrous when it comes to the Holy Land, uh, apart from what ha what's happening in Afghanistan and Iraq. And, and, and that was uh, pers uh, continued pretty much by uh, President Trump. And uh, Mr. Mr. Biden um, is sort of tiptoeing through the tulips on it, but clearly we have a very strong, well, Israel is a strong ally, that's true. But um, since um, the Netanyahu, the prime minister and other prime ministers, apparently, I mean, I'm, I'm part of, by the way, the, the, the complaint before the International Criminal Court. I'm an international lawyer, and I filed a, a complaint against uh, Netanyahu, uh, Gantz, and Lieberman, Trump, and Obama for war crimes. I see that these war crimes have been committed. There's evidence whether it makes that decision or not. It's just another indication, Tom, that we as Americans need to be much more responsible, much more informed about the Middle East, and make much more perspicacious, perspicacious, intelligent decisions about who our allies are, because if we are helping allies uh, like Israel that are committing war crimes, we could, our, our leaders could also uh, you know, be hauled into the International Criminal Court and condemned as war criminals, and that's not good for us, for our country, and a lot of our money is going there. And we need a lot of this money. We have we, our economy is not doing so well. We need to to, to 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 really bolster our own economy. So a lot of our money is going to for military bases all over the world. And I, I I do think Biden's decision, President Biden's decision to remove our soldiers from Afghanistan, uh, it it there were issues for sure. But I think it was a, a wise thing to do. I I was going to ask. It it's you know being reported as as clumsy and ill-conceived, but I don't know of anybody who's, who's arguing that we shouldn't leave. Yes, I, 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 think, I think you're absolutely right. There's been a lot of criticism about the procedure. But, you know, uh, the, my question is, this has been on the books for a long time, the removal of our soldiers from Afghanistan. Even though President Biden had to finally put his foot down and say it's time to do it, um, you know, President Obama, under which Biden was vice president, had promised to do it. And I think Biden is one of his campaign promises or one of his implied campaign promises is we've got to get our soldiers out of these quagmires because they're civil wars, they're dying every week, 
and it, we're not accomplishing anything really. Um, and I think he simply, and, and, and it was inevitable that the Taliban was going to retain power there. So instead of going to war and committing more of our soldiers and getting more of our boys killed and, and ending up like in Vietnam, wondering why they were killed, you know, uh, President Biden made that decision. It's time to set the deadline, time to get our soldiers out of there. Um, it's, it's not, not everyone's going to agree with it, but, but I, I, I think... It, 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 I'm not sure if it could have been better conceived. It's been on the books, and I, he simply had to put his foot down and put a date on it and do what they could to get people out in time. And I think there were perhaps errors made. No, nothing's perfect, but I think the idea was wise, and I think he did maximum he could, and he needed to, to, to put a date down while he had the mandate. He has a mandate for the people. Now it's starting to be compromised a bit. He figured, well, now's the time to do it. So it's, it's hard to say, Tom, uh, about the procedures and what he could have done better in organizing this, uh, I, I, or any other president, uh, you know, under the circumstances. Frank, with your life in, in France and, and teaching there and your activist work in the Holy Land and, and in, uh, now in, in Beirut with refugees, you have a, a unique ability to see your home country, the United States, from a very different vantage point. Um, how, how has your view of the U.S. evolved during these activities? And what do people in these various uh, regions, how do they perceive the U.S.? Yeah, well, uh, my my um, feelings about United States and Americans... I'll, I'll, I'll make a difference between the American government and American people. The American people are still the most charitable people, and um, we are educated to be more charitable. We're educated to share, and, and Americans are, 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 are contributing to some of even my programs uh, because I'm a, a retired professor. I don't make much money. Americans have a big heart, and we were educated um, to, to helping more than, for instance, I'm also a French citizen, and I've been in Europe for many years, over 30 years. I don't see the same charitableness in Europe as I do from the States. The people have a potential, have a heart, have education. Um, but the, the, the government that we've um, unfortunately elected have been controlled by a lot of interest groups, as, and this is kind of like a stereotype, right? Uh, but a lot of our decisions... Our, our international decisions, economic decisions, I think, are based upon the interests that are, that, 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 uh, of the people, of the groups, of the businesses that help elect our officers. Our officers, our leaders are too connected to, for instance, the Israeli lobby that subsidizes a lot of our leaders, not just Republicans. Um, for instance, Pelosi, Trump, uh, Obama, Biden were all subsidized a lot by the Israeli lobby. Therefore, we got a lot of pro-Israeli governmental policies. Too much interest in big business as well, stilting uh, our government and, 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 and I think too much influence. And, and, and therefore, our government is not representative often of the people, of, of American, of American interest. And a lot of times, 
the, the, the leaders are, uh, in, in their uh, policies are, are more um, supporting the interests of these interest groups. And outside of the country, and this is that's my perspective, outside of the country, uh, uh, you know, especially with respect to our policies, uh, in, in Middle East policies in particular, particular with our policies with helping Israel uh, in, 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 you know, unbridled support of Israel, no matter what Israel does, it's very negative now in almost all, all circles, other than big business that's doing business with the United States, or collaborating countries like the Emirates, or Bihran, or Morocco, that are working with Israel, and basically they want also arms from the U.S., all these business deals, it's a, it's a financial thing, uh, other than these countries, other than Egypt and, and also Jordan, uh, it, uh, the perspective of Americans, uh, we are hoodwinked, we're controlled, we're led by the nose, by big business interests, uh, Israeli lobby is very powerful, and, we're, and they have even influence in our elections, which is true, that we, we are manipulated, and, um, and, and we are very much into the capitalist thing, and not really, in interest, not really humanitarian as we set forth as a country, the basis for our country was set up for humanitarian reasons, for freedom. And people think that this were hypocrites. We professed to support democracies and so forth, but we, we often systematically support dictators and big business, and we become hypocrites. And I think the world believes a lot. A lot of the world is, 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 has a negative view of the United States because of this, unfortunately. Well, Frank, you've had the opportunity to work with Israelis and Palestinians. Mm-hmm. And what is your impression of the conflict between the two? Is it all turf, or is there some ideology or theology that separates them? Yeah, I think all that is relevant in this conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians. It has become, for instance, um, uh, a religious thing to the extent that the, um, the settlers is, is the... In, in the West Bank, before uh, the Six-Day War, uh, 57, there were no real Israeli settlers. And when uh, the Israel conquered uh, Jordan and uh, Egypt and, and uh, pretty much all the countries around it, it uh, sent in settlers into the West Bank to settle permanently. And uh, there are over 500 settlers there which is against international law. When you conquer a nation, you, 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 you can occupy them and so forth, and then you, you try to build a road toward peace. You have no right to put in your settlers uh, permanently. Uh, so um, the settlers believe, however, and I've spoken to them. I've worked with them, too. And some of my groups, uh, they're all uh, welcome to join, Palestinians, settlers from Israel, uh, liberal and conservative that the settlers believe it's God-given. They're the chosen few. This is their land, and they base it on the Torah, the Israeli Bible, which does say this is the promised land. Moses and, and uh, Abraham are taking us into the promised land, but uh, it said that this is our land, and it says it implies that they could kick out non-Jews. And, and uh, this did not happen in biblical times. The Jews integrated with non-Jews, and now the settlers believe they're atoning for that sin, uh, that they are now occupying uh, Samaria and Judea, which is noted in the Bible as the place where they are to go, and they are kicking out non-Jews according to God's order. However, uh, Mohammedis, a famous Jewish scholar, says um, 
uh, what the Israeli is doing, uh, you know, could be a, a is a violation of one of its laws, and that is treat your neighbors with respect, which is also a Ten Commandment. Treat your neighbors with respect, um, you know, and uh, or, or as Jesus even take, took it to another level, say, love your neighbor as thyself. Uh, you're violating that rule. So there's there's a religious thing. The Palestinians. Also, many of the Orthodox Palestinians believe this is their land, and they interpret the, the Koran as saying, the Koran said at one time the Jews were promised people, and now they've been replaced by the Muslims because the Jews and the Christians have taken the wrong path, and they believe that this is their land. Some of the Orthodox Muslims believe, uh, according to the to the Koran, that uh, you know th this this land should be controlled by the Palestinians. Not necessarily kick out the Jews and the Christians, but this should be all Palestinian land. And, and when I went into Tunisia to talk with activists, you know, the Arab Spring movement started in Tunisia. I looked, I went to the schools and saw the map of the Holy Land in their schools. And this is a rather a fairly liberal country compared to some other countries liberal uh, when it comes to Islam. I mean, it's still kind of Islamist-oriented, but not kind of liberal. I noticed that Israel wasn't even on the map. So they even say that this is not only Palestinian land, Israel does not, should not, and does not exist. So we've got the, the religious stuff, and then the land. They're all competing to say that we have superior right over this land. And the way I see it, Tom, is 2000, uh, in 2000 B.C., in came Ibrahim uh, from Mesopotamia, and the Jews and the Muslims and the Christians, they claim heritage through Ibrahim. This was 2000 B.C., so he came into the Holy Land. So my take is neither the Muslims nor the Jews nor the Christians have a superior right to the Holy Land. They have equal right in any case. In, on the ground, they're there, Tom, and we need to help. You know, I'm, and I'm trying to encourage that they work together, Inter, you know, in, you know, in, in work together, pray to do things together. Not necessarily pray together in their churches, but do things together. Understand that they come from very much the same roots. And but the problem is the interest groups again, Tom. They stilt the things. A lot of people are making money off the conflict. The uh, Israeli settlers believe again that the chosen few. They want to kick out the Palestinians. There's no. It's difficult to convince them otherwise. Uh, so we've got all we've got a land issue, superior right to the Holy Land. We've got a religious issue, and the economics of it is a lot of American businesses have implanted in the settlements. These Israeli settlements, Israeli settlements in the West Bank, and they're making a lot of money there because they, the 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 labor is cheap. You don't have to outsource to China, uh, and it's difficult to convince, for instance, HP or Motorola that are very uh, present in these settlements. To um, to leave because the settlements have been made, have been built on Palestinian land and they're exacerbating the conflict because they're making a lot of money. It's gonna, it's, a, it's a money thing too, Tom. Well, Frank, we have to put an end there, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you, the book, your work, past, present, and future. Frank, do you have a website? Yes, uh, yes, it's um. Uh, Frank Romano, uh, Love and Terror. Frank Romano, Love and Terror uh, at com, dot com. Let me just double check because it's a it's a new it's a new one, and it, and my book can be found literally everywhere. Uh, it's it can be found uh, you know pretty much everywhere. 
uh, Amazon, uh, anywhere, and, and I'm having, I'm setting up a whole author tour now for the West Coast United States and conferences. So um, I'm going to be in the United States starting tomorrow for about three months. I got my kids on the West Coast. I'm going to see them. And so I'm having a series of events, and that can be found on my Facebook page. And well, uh, Frank, let me just take a quick look. My yeah. Thanks so much for spending this time with me, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Tom. Hope to talk to you again someday. Take care. That was Frank Romano. He's the author of uh, a book. Let me get the title right. Love and Terror in the Middle East. And you want to Hi, see the fifth Hi, this is Joe Biden from the Blue Lions. And we'll be you're back. listening to the Tom Sumner Program. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Start your weekend early with the Tom Sumner Program every Friday live at 11. We turn the spotlight on the world of arts and entertainment featuring artists from music, TV, and the movies. Catch everything from the rich local talent pool in and around Flint and Genesee County to up-and-coming stars of stage and screen, plus legends from New York and Hollywood. Hi, this is Greg Nagy. Hey, this is Hoppa. Hi, this is Joe By from the Blue Lions. Hi, this is Alexander Zondrick. Hi, this is Mark Farner. This is Maurice Davis. Hi, this is Rochelle Ray. Hi there, folks. This is Sweet Willie T. Hey, this is Steve from the Nashville office. I'm Gwen Pennyman Hemphill. Start your weekend right. Go to 11 Fridays on the Tom Sumner Program. Those hands, no matter whose they are, can spread the germs of many common diseases. That's why I want you to realize how important it is to keep hands clean, to wash them regularly and always before meals with Life Boy, which not only removes dirt, but helps to remove germs. Teach the children this habit. Form it yourself. Always use Life Boy for hands and face as well as the back. America, your children have an amazing superpower. That's right. They can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council.
W.H. Weiscarver, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiscarver, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Carver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner program, visit whyscarver.com. The Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, this is First Ward City Councilman Eric Mays, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. I've uh, been criticized in the newspapers for the big parties and the uh, state dinners. Now we've got to cut down and economy starts at home. Uh, all right, if you say so. Oh, here they are. All right, uh, gentlemen, uh, let us be seated. Uh, Mr. Adenauer, if uh, you will sit uh, next to your uh, friend, Mr. De Gaulle. And uh, Mr. Castro, if you will sit here next to your friend, Mr. Khrushchev. Mr. Nasha, if you will sit here next to uh, Mr. Ben-Gurion. I'm... I'm, uh, I'm sh- I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Nkrumah, if you will sit in between Mr. Ben-Gurion and Mr. Nasha, then uh, you can uh, turn either way. Now, uh, Mr. Uh, Shankai-Shek, would you uh, please uh, sit there beside Mr. Khrushchev? Oh, good. Now, uh, before we get down to the business at hand, I think lunch would be in order. Now, I thought that instead of the uh, formal food we usually serve here, that we would have a uh, typical American uh, businessman's lunch. So I'm going to send down to the delicatessen store for uh, some sandwiches. Well, how does that uh, how does that strike you, gentlemen? Uh, 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 Mr. Khrushchev, Mr. Khrushchev, would you? Uh, I appreciate your enthusiasm, but would you mind uh, just taking your shoe off the table? Now, I think uh, I'll have a uh, peanut butter and jelly on whole wheat with a uh, side order of a uh, coleslaw and a hot fudge uh, sundae. Uh, Mr. De Gaulle? Yuck. <laughs> I would like to have dove under glass. Well, I'm uh, sorry, General, but uh, we're only having sandwiches today. Then could I have a dove under glass sandwich? <laughs> All right, uh, Pierre, a uh, chicken salad on white for the General. Uh, Mr. Uh, Sh- Shankai Shek. A uh, club sandwich would be fine. Thank you so much. Would you like it with a, a little mayo? Please, not to mention that name. Uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm sorry. Mr. Uh, Nasa. I'll have a hot pastrami sandwich. I can never get it at home. <laughs> what, uh, what kind of bread? White toast with lettuce and uh, mayonnaise. Uh, Mr. Nasa. What do you want, Ben-Gurion? Look, I, I know we don't get along. You never listen to me. Now you're fooling around with rockets. But this time, please listen. Pastrami don't go with white bread and lettuce and mayonnaise. Have <laughs> that on rye bread with mustard and a glass tea, you'll enjoy. 
I think that uh, I think that Mr. Uh, ben Gurion has a point there. All right, I'll, I'll take a chance. Good boy. And if you like pastrami, next time you're in my neighborhood, drop into the house. My wife makes like a filter fish. It melts in your mouth. We'll have to get together, Mr. Ben Gurion. My name is Ben Gurion. You can call me Ben. My name is Abdul Nasser. You can call me Abe. Good. Now, uh, fine. Mr. Uh, Mr. Khrushchev. Oh, you don't have to order special for me. I'll have a bite of everybody else's. All right, uh, Mr. Uh, Adenauer. You have one sandwich here in America I love. I have a Western sandwich. If Adenauer has a Western sandwich, then I'll have an Eastern sandwich. There is uh, no Eastern sandwich. Then I want the Eastern portion of his Western sandwich. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm uh, sure I'm sure we can uh, negotiate on that subject. Uh, Mr. Castro. No pregunte qué su patria puede hacer para usted. Pero pregunte qué usted puede hacer para su patria. I have a chicken sandwich with a live chicken. Well, uh, well, that leaves uh, Mr. N. Krumer. What will you have, sir? I'll have some watermelon. Don't put me on, Mr. Nagrumer. <laughs> and egg sandwich and a coke and I guess a bowl of borscht okay okay uh, Pierre uh, put the rush on it gentlemen that was a uh, pleasant lunch now uh, under discussion today will be a nuclear disarmament followed by the UN bond issue and a uh, matter of the trade agreements now first there is a most important matter to settle uh, Mr. Gall, yours was the chicken salad and coffee. That's a dollar forty. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
how many times must a cannonballs fly before they're forever banned? For the answer, my friend, it's blowing in the wind. I mean that answer is blowing in the wind. How many times must a man look up before he can see the sky? How many ears? Must one man have before he can hear people How many deaths, how many deaths will it take till he knows that too many people have died? The answer, my friend, is blowing, blowing in the wind. The answer is blowing in the wind. How many years can a mountain exist before? To the sea How many years Can some people exist Before they're allowed To be free How many times Can a man turn his The answer is blowing, blowing in the wind. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, and you're celebrating Schlocktober with Tom. Isolated life ain't all that bad 
show down here. It's a Tom Sumner program, don't you know? Go on. Go on, get out of here. <laughs>